I'm wondering how many of you have no idea how to take my sermon title this morning. It is how to raise above average children. How to raise above average children. I'm, I'm sorry if you're bewildered by that because it cracks me up. It cracks me up. Uh, I, have, I have long enjoyed a, a radio program called the Prairie Home Companion. Uh, it's still running. I, I mostly listened to it years ago, and the host was Garrison Keeler, Keeler excuse me. And uh, it, it was a stage production to look like an old-fashioned radio production, and so you could listen to it on the radio. And uh, he, would, uh, he would get to a portion of the program where he would tell a story. And he would tell a story about the fictitious people in the fictitious town called Lake Woebegone. You can tell it must be a lovely place because all the people's woes be gone. Lake Woebegone. And so in this place, he would, he would tell this humorous story about the folk and the things that are going on there and the conflicts that might arise in their resolution. And then he would end each segment with this tagline. Well, that's the news from Lake Woebegone where all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. And if you understand math, there's a little problem with all of the children being above average, because to have above average, there has to, to be an average and a below average, but it's just, it's just kind of humorous. To me, apparently, the only one that it's humorous to. And so now that I've explained that, uh, you know, I, I just kind of thought, that's kind of funny. All the kids are above average, and sometimes we think that way about all of our kids, and sometimes we don't. And, uh, and it got me thinking, what would make children above average in God's math? And what kind of parents, beyond being strong and good-looking, what kind of parents could raise such children? Since God puts parents and children together, surely God wants us to know how this relationship should work. Surely God wants you children to know how he wants you to treat your parents. And surely God wants you parents to know how he wants you to treat your kids. And if we knew how God wanted children to treat their parents and parents to treat their children, that we would indeed have the secret to a happy family. And if we would do it, we would experience the joy of God in our family relationships. Nothing less than the joy of God in our family relationships. And we would be thankful to God for our family relationships, because I know sometimes, from time to time, we're not, but we would be. And because we would be following God's wise instructions for family relationships, God himself would fill us with his spirit. That's what Paul says when we walk in the wisdom of these relationships here in Ephesians. Well, it's no secret. It's no secret. Kids or moms and dads, Paul has given us just four short verses, keys to a happy family, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Let's read those together. Not out loud. I'll read. You listen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. If you want to follow along in your sermon outline, 
I think it'll be helpful to you. And you'll see this sermon theme. It's really just my bullet point restating of the verses, to be honest. Children are to honor their, and obey their parents. Parents are to train up their children in the truth of the gospel. This is God's wise ordering of the family that promotes what is good and right and true. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. The very first thing we should notice is that Paul addresses the children. Seems rather benign to us in our day, but in Paul's day, no adult would have addressed children directly like this. If anybody wanted to talk about children, he would have talked to the parents about the children. They wouldn't have looked down and talked to those children if they, if they found reason to talk about children at all. In the ancient Near East, parents had complete authority over their children. Not simply parental rights, as we understand them, but practically ownership rights. Parents could treat their children any way they wanted to. You know, nothing in the history of the world has promoted and brought about safe nurturing and development of children as Christianity has. And this is how. Imagine again, we did this last week, this letter being read to the congregation in Ephesus for the very first time. So use your sanctified imagination. There, in the worship gathering, are children sitting next to their parents. The children are listening to chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. They get slower for kids as the time of chapter four. They hear chapter five. The chapters of this letter being read to their parents and all the believers of the church, and then they hear children. You, children. Not parents, but children. Paul addresses the children directly. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So, kids, listen up. The Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ and the church value children as children. They don't have to wait to grow up to be valued. We value them as children. Now, we are all parents of our, or children of our parents, no matter our age, but Paul is focused on children in the household, still being raised in their formative years, so whether four or 24, they're still dependent on mom and dad, they have a duty to obey their parents. And Paul's command to obey is it's pretty direct. It's pretty simple. It means to comply. No nuance here. If mom says do it, do it. If dad says don't do it, don't do it. And we can contrast that with the submission that wives are called to that we looked at last week in the paragraphs above. Wives are to submit to their husband's leadership role in the marriage relationship. In marriage, wife and husband become one flesh, but they're one flesh and they're still man and woman to reflect the image of God. So their one flesh relationship has to be a harmony. It's not a melody, it's a harmony. They're equal in value with complementary roles, working together as parents, working together as partners and parents here, raising their children together. It's different for children. Children are to obey. If the word is spoken, the word's to be obeyed. Of course, that doesn't mean that children are to obey sinful commands. They're not to receive sinful commands in the first place. And we'll see in a moment the great responsibility of parents. But remember the setting of this letter to the Ephesians. Remember the setting of gentleness and unity, oneness and love in which these commands rest. And so that's the context in which we take them. Paul is instructing Christian families in the wisdom of God for families. 
Christians are to walk in the wisdom of God and to be filled with the Spirit by submitting out of reverence to Christ children to their own parents. Are we allowed to ask why children are to obey their parents? Of course we are, because that's what Paul tells us. Because it's right. Because it's right. You don't have to learn this. You just have to see it. It's right. Children obeying parents is natural to the child-parent relationship. It's inherent and it's necessary to the child's need to be trained up and the parent's responsibility to train them. A child's responsibility to obey their parents is part of the natural law written upon their hearts. It's not limited to Christianity. It's not limited to our day and time. It's the same throughout all of history in all places everywhere. Just as it's the obligation of parents to teach children what to obey. So that they can, one, survive. Two, grow. And then three, flourish. Paul gives this similar but shorter instruction to the children in the church in Colossae. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Jesus expects children to obey their parents. Mom and dad don't have to give you a reason for their instructions. Because they said so is reason enough. You need to know that this is your obedience that pleases the Lord. Which leads us to consider what Paul means when he says you are to obey in the Lord. When you obey your parents, you are respecting Jesus himself. If you are an older child in the home who has come to saving faith in Christ, you already know that you are giving reverence to Christ by obeying your parents. To every other child in the home, even as you are learning about Christ, about his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, even as you are learning to repent of your sins and find forgiveness uh, of sins in God who's merciful, you are respecting Christ and pleasing God when you obey your parents. God gave you children to your parents so that they would take care of you. They are operating in God's stead. So remember to obey God by obeying your mom and dad in everything and all the time. And you can ask God for help to obey. And he will help you by reminding you that you are to obey him. So obey mom and dad and you'll learn that you can trust and depend on Jesus for everything. And then Paul gives another command to children. It's to honor their parents. Listen in verse two. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now this is the fifth commandment of the 10 commandments that Moses delivered to Israel at Mount Sinai. It's found in Exodus 20, but I'll read from Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. When we picture the Ten Commandments, we picture two tablets, right? Two tablets or tables. And in the Christian tradition, the Fifth Commandment is usually pictured on the second tablet. The commandments of how to get along with others. But in the Hebrew tradition, the commandment to honor your parents is pictured on the first table with all the commandments about how to live with God, which seems right. Parents are God's rightful authority before children. To disobey parents is to disobey God. To disobey your parents is to sin. And this comes not from the natural law now, but from the revealed will of God in Scripture. 
Now it's written. And Paul applies this from Exodus to families today, to children today. So before we move forward, let's just note a couple of things. One, this command extends to children for a lifetime. This one does. To honor your father and mother. While grown children who have left the household are no longer under the obligation to obey their parents' every command, they are to honor their parents by respecting them and caring for them. And how might that come about? Well, in their old age when mom and dad need care. You're their caregiver. You're responsible. Two, I just want to acknowledge that many of you had irresponsible and even bad parents. I know that. And I know you're listening to this today. And these verses may ring hollow to you. Or you may find them difficult to appropriate into your own understanding of the gospel and Bible truth. And yet, for you to live wisely out of reverence for Christ and to be filled with the Spirit, you need to find a way to honor them. And it may be, after you've considered it a while, that the best way is for you to walk in a manner worthy of your heavenly Father. And if that's all that's left, that's your Christian witness that you're called to walk in front of them. Back to what Paul's saying to children in the church. Honor, honor is the greater attitude which leads to willing obedience. To honor your parents is to have a predisposition to respect them. And God gives you a reason to do so. It's a twofold motivation to act out of respect for mom and dad. It's a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You don't want to over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize these promises in their New Testament context. They're not a specific guarantee of riches and old age, as in into your hundreds. But children who honor their parents will find a blessing in life as a result. A happy family, a hopeful future, general well-being. Why? Because these are God's wise instructions for living and being blessed in this life. Children, let's get practical just for a minute. What does it mean to obey your parents? It means that you are to do what they say, when they say it, with a good attitude. That's, that's the, the anatomy of obedience. Do what mom and dad say, do it when they say it, and do it with a good attitude. If mom says, go make your bed, do what your mom says and go make your bed. Can you do that anytime you want to? Like after playing 14 more video games? No. To delay is to disobey. Do it when your mom says, which means you have to stop doing what you're doing now and go make your bed. And do it with a good attitude. None of this, mm, no, no shrugging, mm, I don't like this. No grumbling under your breath and no, no eye rolling, right? Here's why. There's a very practical reason. Your mom and dad, kids, have more wisdom and better wisdom about everything in life than you do right now. 
They decide what's best for you and the whole family because they know better. So you obey them in the Lord. Here's another reason why, and it's a spiritual reason. Obeying your parents teaches you that God calls you to obey Him also. Mom and dad are teaching you that God calls his children to obey. He disciplines those who do not obey right away. He punishes those who disobey and, disobey and say no. And he forgives those who are sorry and do the right thing. Your parents do these same things so that you will learn to be like Jesus. Jesus is our example of perfect obedience, isn't he? He obeyed his earthly mom and dad. The Bible tells us he obeyed Mary and Joseph. And in obeying them, he obeyed and pleased his heavenly father. Listen. It was Jesus' perfect obedience that qualified him to go to the cross on our behalf. On the cross, God, his father, accepted Jesus' obedience in place of our disobedience. The kids have heard this good news before, and now it's time to obey this good news and to live in obedience to Jesus. God blesses us through Jesus, his obedient son. So believe in Jesus and find the blessings of obedience in him. Parents, you need to exercise your authority in the home. You need to exercise your authority in the home. You need to parent your children, not at the level of behavior, but at the level of their attitude, at the level of that eye roll, because that's the heart level of your children. And you're teaching your children to obey from the heart. You are not doing them favors by letting them get away with rolling their eyes in defiance to you or delaying obedience in rebellion against you because that's what those things are from the heart. You are not showing them grace by allowing them to disobey you. You are teaching them something else entirely. You are teaching them that God allows sin. You are teaching them that God's call to obey Him can be ignored. Every person, even your children, is individually responsible to God. We know that. But God has given parents the responsibility to train up their children in heart obedience to Christ. It's best for them. So let's look at this, these words of training up in verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, let's imagine the church gathered to hear the reading of this letter for the very first time. Everyone is amazed by the glory of God's grace, Paul is revealing to them in their salvation. Remember, that's the early chapters. And they're committing to walk in the love and the light and the wisdom of God. And when the pastor finally gets to chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, who in the church do you think would have been overjoyed to hear this? And who in the church would have been a little bit overwhelmed? Kids or parents? You see, children would have been overjoyed. Children already understood that they had to obey their parents, but now there was a reason that positively motivated them to, to honor their parents in the Lord. 
And then they would hear that their parents, even their fathers, are responsible to train them up so that it would go well with them. There's an investment here. Hey, this obedience doesn't isn't just out of drudgery and, and the law because parents can do what they want. It's, it's good for me. There's an outcome here that I'm looking forward to. The irony is that parents would have fully expected these words, don't, don't provoke your children to anger, parents would have fully expected these words to have been directed towards children. As in, children, stop provoking your parents to anger. That's what they would have expected to have been read in that day. I mean, this, this verb used over and over in the Old Testament to warn children of Israel not to provoke their God due to their repeated disobedience and idolatry, that's kind of how these parents would have taken it. Wait a minute. It's kids who aren't supposed to provoke me to anger. Given the culture in the ancient Near East, what Paul wrote is quite a surprise. It's just a little bit shocking. Now, mothers were already more involved in the task of raising children than fathers were, so fathers especially were the ones receiving a new and a greater responsibility. We know already that Paul is addressing parents in this section and that moms and dads are responsible to train up their children, uh, but Paul emphasizes fathers here. Paul emphasizes you, fathers. Why? Well, it may be in general that fathers have a greater tendency to be harsh with children than, than mothers, but certainly... Certainly, Paul is telling men that they are responsible for the well-being of their families. You have been charged with the well-being of your family. As the head of the home, the husband, the father, bears the responsibility for the well-being of his entire family, his wife, and his children. But it is helpful to understand this verse applying to both parents, because it's a Christian principle, isn't it? Think back to Jesus and his disciples, that when you have authority, you don't lord it over people. You don't lord it over anybody, not even your kids. And Paul is clarifying the fact that God isn't handing out authority. He's handing out responsibility. It helps us so much when we understand that. We feel if anybody's given authority, they can just use that any way they want to to please themselves, and they can. God's handing out responsibility. God's giving a mantle of accountability to men and to parents. And the authority that they have is for them to carry out that responsibility. And the risk of exasperating children, the risk of provoking children to anger, seems to come in the area of discipline, most likely. If children are to obey, and they are, then there must be discipline when they don't. Discipline for the purpose of bringing them into compliance with mom and dad's instructions. Paul gives similar instructions to the parents in the church in Colossae. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. When disciplining your kids, things that provoke them to anger or discouragement are ruled out. This rules out angry flare-ups, overly harsh words, Insults, sarcasm, or nagging, demeaning comments, teasing, unreasonable demands. These things are sins on our part. You don't want to deaden the relationship between you and your kids. You want to enliven it. You don't want to curb their desire to please God because it's just simply impossible to please you. 
Good discipline builds trust between parent and child. <clears throat> Martin Luther, the reformer, is known for having a father who was so stern that, uh, that a young Martin found it difficult to pray the words, our father who art in heaven, because it just made him think of his dad, who was just mean to him. His relationship with his father was embittered because of his father's severity towards him. Luther himself would have many children, and Luther believed in the proverb, spare the rod and spoil the child, but Luther added to it, keep an apple next to the rod to give the child when he does well. It's kind of a reminder. Think about God's discipline in your life. Does God discipline us in such a way that makes us angry, bitter, and discouraged? No. He knows that as children we're weak and we're vulnerable, so he's tender and cares for us in ways that cause us to grow and even flourish. Flourish how? Flourish in a relationship of respect and love for him that yields goodness and holiness in our lives. That it may go well with you. So let's get practical. Moms and dads, let's briefly consider 10 ways that we can exasperate our children. Why 10? Because 10 were on the list that I got from B.J. Walters. And I thought they were really good, and so I just thought I'd read through them really quickly. They may be from a book. I don't know. If, if you hear these things and you go, hey, that's from a book, then you can tell me what the book is after the service. But we exasperate our children when we're inconsistent with our discipline. I mean, imagine being a kid, and, and you just don't know when the hammer's going to drop. You don't know, why did I get punished this time and not the last time? It's confusing, and it's exasperating. We exasperate our children when we're not clear with our instructions. When you, when you give instructions to be obeyed, they need to be clear so the kid knows what to do. You know, if afterwards, if you get mad at him, he says, I don't, I don't know what I'm being punished for. I thought I was following the instructions. It's exasperating. We exasperate our children when we make comparisons. Comparisons reflect partiality. You know, why can't you be a little more like him? Why don't you do things a little bit more like her? I mean, that's just, that's just discouraging. We exasperate our children when we fail to understand them. In that moment, we need to have an insight into what they're thinking and feeling in order to discipline them at the heart level. What's, what's really going on here? Am I addressing the right thing? We exasperate our children when we, when we bully them or make fun of them. Nobody likes those things. Nobody likes to be bullied. Nobody likes to be made fun of. And kids certainly don't. You know, we're not to use our kids as a punchline for our jokes, and we're not allowed to take a shortcut in their compliance by bullying them instead of training them and bringing them in line with that training. We exasperate our children when we discipline them in front of others. Yeah, you don't want to do this. If there's time for discipline, then there's time to take them out of the view of mom, of, of other, other people's parents, of friends, of kids, of your in-laws, whoever it is. Move them out. Discipline them in private. We discourage our kids when we discipline them in anger. This leads to all kinds of wrong, doesn't it? It does. Because we know that the anger, uh, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. James taught us that. It just doesn't. It's a bad time 
a bad time to discipline your children when you're angry at them. You need to go cool off. You need to approach discipline with a clear head, a thoughtful head, because you're going to approach discipline with gentleness and tenderness. We exasperate our kids when we fail to confess our own sins, especially sins against them. You may not realize this, but kids can smell hypocrisy a mile away. They, they don't know what they're doing. They just know they smell it. They know, mom and dad, you're a sinner. They're clear on that. You think you're hiding it, but they're clear. And they totally get it when you confess your sin and ask forgiveness. It seems natural and right to them. They totally get it. It's amazing how, how forgiving kids can be towards parents. They really are. When parents are honest about their sin, kids just seem to get that. I get it. Yeah, it's okay. Because they want forgiveness too. It is absolutely crucial that moms and dads model the Christian life in this way for their kids. We exasperate our children when we focus on everything at the same time. I, I have to admit, as parents, sometimes, sometimes we, just, we just let things go. It happens. And, uh, and, 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 and one day you look up, and you see all these things that you've let go, and you decide you're going to correct them all at one time. All of them at the same time. Okay, discipline kicks back in. I've got time for this gear now, and discipline kicks back in, and so I'm clamping down on everything. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. We're trying to do it all at once, and that's exasperating because the kid can do no right. And so we need to prioritize some things. Understand, we're back to understanding. It's like, let's prioritize some things. Let's address these things. Let's be willing to accept incremental improvement. And we exasperate our kids when we fail to praise them and affirm them regardless of the level of their obedience. Let me explain. We never affirm disobedience, but we always affirm them. I love you no matter what. Because God loves me no matter what. You cannot over-affirm your kids in your love for them, in your commitment to care for them, in your responsibility to raise them up. We love them no matter what because God loves us no matter what. And so there's something to avoid. It's, it's exasperating our children. It's provoking them to anger and bitterness and discouragement. And here's what we're to pursue. Training them up in the gospel. Moms and dads, God has given you responsibility to train up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. He has not given that to the school system. He hasn't even given it to your church. He's given it to you. Parents are responsible to raise their children in such a way that they will be trained in understanding the gospel, understanding who God is and who Christ is, and to be instructed to walk in the truths of God's word. That's what you're doing. You're raising them in that way. 
You know, you may be looking at a translation that says that you're supposed to nourish your children. Uh, the reason that would be fine, in fact, maybe preferred, is because the Greek word used here is the same word that Paul used to tell husbands to nourish their wives as they nourish their own bodies. Same word. Same thing taking place. Here it's used to say bring up your children, just as, just as it was said earlier, to nourish your wives as you would your own body. Parents are to nourish their children to feed them and lead them and grow them with a gentle and a tender disposition. Dad, you're responsible with your wife to nourish your children in all the ways of God. You can't delegate that responsibility. You can delegate tasks of training. Boy, I did in our home. Julie was a lot better helping the kids with some things than I was. But I bore the responsibility. Dad, you bear the responsibility. The weight of that load is yours to carry. You are to train them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what you're doing. You can't make them disciples. We're not messing with the gospel here at all. You can't make them disciples, but you're responsible to train them to become disciples. So there's a formative element to filling them with instruction. There's a formative element to pouring in truths and teaching them and training them and walking with them so they'd understand them, answering questions, you know, along the way, as it says in the Shema. The Old Testament had the same, same kind of, you need to train your kids up. You need to teach them while you're walking, while you're sitting down, while you're doing all these things. It's a constant, it's a constant duty. So there's this formative element. And again, there's this corrective element to discipline them in the ways of the Lord. You can't abdicate that duty. You've seen, probably in the grocery store, parents who have abdicated that duty. You've seen it. It's not hard to tell you that you need to teach your kids the Bible. Everybody's nodding on that one. I mean, listen to the father in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20, talk about instruction as the total training of the child. Listen to advice, he says to his son, and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. We accept this positive, formative action. But I find more and more in this culture, we often misunderstand and shy away from disciplining our kids. There's been a, there's been a progressive movement in our culture to, to shy away from such things. And we've, we've been caught up in the flow. Discipline is a gift from God. Brothers and sisters, discipline is a gift from God. Listen. Listen to this insight into discipline from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse seven. It is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful, 
rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, by discipline. God is good to teach us that there are consequences for our disobedience, for our sin. And we teach this to our children in acts of discipline. And I know this is viewed negatively by our culture. But what's pictured in Scripture is discipline through spanking. And the Bible views it positively. So you may need to just, for a moment, consider Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, moms and dads, you get to decide how to discipline your children. But the Bible does not shy away from spanking. Like any other good gift of God, spanking can be abused. There's no doubt about it. So let me just tell you how we used spanking in our family bringing up our boys. First, there was something significant that would take place that would bring up the discipline of spanking. And the boys all we knew, always knew why they were being spanked and why it was wrong. The boys always knew what to expect when a spanking came. It's a limited number of spanks, never in anger, and always under control. And when the spanking was over, we would be reconciled. Discipline is for correction. The sin of discipline that is of disobedience is, is forgiven. It's in the past. Discipline is an act of love and we love one another. There was always reconciliation in the relationship afterwards because it was not based on that. It was based on a behavior to be brought in line. I know many of you are not comfortable with this topic. I know many in our culture thinks, think of spanking only as negative. But it's my job to teach you the Bible's view. Spanking is not in conflict with nurturing your children with a tender and gentle and loving disposition. You must determine to instruct and discipline your children because those two things work in harmony together to bring your kids up in the Lord. You, mom and dad, are the Lord's agents to raise your children in his wise ways. You are their first and best hope to learn Christ. That's how Paul put it to us in Ephesians. We're to learn Christ. And how do you do that? By teaching them the word of God, the gospel, the truth, his wisdom, his way. Look to the word of God. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's talking about himself. How, how I taught you. 
how Paul taught you. But then he says, and from how child, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Well, how was he acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood? Well, by his mother and by his grandmother, the, the letter tells us. Those writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, because all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So bring your kids up in the, in the word and truths of God. Instruct them and discipline them in them so that they would walk in the truth and in the ways of God. Let me wrap up with just a couple of points. Parents, you need to protect your kids and you need to take on your roles. Do you know that this is true? That Satan wants your kids to follow his course in this world. That's Paul's phrasing in Ephesians chapter two. That's what he wants him to do. How many of you know this, that, that Satan is a, is a prowling lion? He's a, he's a roaring lion and he's on the prowl to devour you and your children. Does that sound dramatic? It is dramatic. And it's true. It's true. You know, it's hard for children to learn to obey their parents. It's hard. And it's hard for parents to train up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But it's not impossible. Christians have been doing it for centuries. You can do this. You just have to understand that the world's against this. The world, the prince of the power of the air, is against this. He wants your kids to disobey. And he's going to make little video games and smartphones sparkle so that they will run after them and ignore you. You know this. You know this. Satan is like a prowling lion. He wants to devour your children home. You have to make sure that he knows he's got to go through you to get to them. That's your commitment. And I don't think this is being dramatic. Because all of these instructions, think about this, all of these instructions about how we're to live in the household, wives and husbands, children and parents, are going to be immediately followed by a section of scripture where Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the devil. I think there's a reason why these things are together. This is where Paul's moving. And you need to be living in the wisdom of God in your household so that there is the spirit of peace in the, our spirit of unity and the bond of peace in your household so that the church has in, in God's household the spirit of unity and the bond of peace so that you can, all of us together can, take up the armor of God and stand against the devil. You may think that it sounds a little dramatic, unrealistic to say that Satan wants to swallow your children whole, but hasn't he been? We just celebrated Sanctity of Life Sunday. The devil is swallowing children whole by the millions in America since the passage of Roe v. Wade with America's consent. In fact, their desire for it. I don't think it's dramatic at all to say, don't kill your kids. Seems pretty basic. And there's... There are things going on. You can see them in the world. I'll speak vaguely. You don't want me to be political, but when things moral become political, then we continue to talk about things moral. 
There is a progressive agenda in our country. I don't mean the progressive political agenda. I mean the progressive moral agenda. There's a, there's a sexual agenda that wants to take your kids into understanding and approving of sinful behaviors, sexual immorality. It's called the LGBTQ agenda. Don't sacrifice your kids to this agenda. They want you to. They'll, they'll start with the youngest and work their re- way through, through all of society to, to bring you on board. Don't sacrifice your children to the sin of this agenda. And there's a, and there's a, progressive, there's a progressive movement in our nation that says, that says, we think that parents shouldn't have all of the parental rights that they have. They should have fewer of them. They should cede them to, to another group. You say, well, Scott, that sounds really political. Well, it's because politics are involved. But here's why it's moral, because God gave you responsibility for your children to raise them in the admonition of the Lord, not the state, not the school board, not anything else that wants to supplant your God-given responsibility to raise your children with their desire to raise your children. I'm not even telling you how to act politically. I'm telling you how to act as a Christian mom and dad. Don't kill your kids, don't sacrifice your kids, and don't let them take your kids. God gave them to you for a reason. Parent them well. Protect them. These things are real. These things are real. But so are you. So is God's love. So is God's grace. So are your kids. So are God's promises. I don't tell you these things to make you fearful, but simply to open your eyes and be good parents. Yeah, be strong. Remember the, remember the moms in Lake Wobegon? Be strong. You don't have to be good looking like the men in Lake Wobegon, but be strong. Be strong for your kids. Lastly, embrace your roles as mom and dads. Here it is, laid out for you. It's the wisdom of God. Mom and dad, you have to have your own vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ in order to lead your kids in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In order to teach your children, you have to learn Christ yourself. Do you feel equipped to do that? There are some things you can do. There are some things that you do that, that they're not even hard and you're already partially at least engaged in them. Pay attention in the worship service. Listen. Listen to the word of God when it's preached. Understand it. Take notes. Write questions. Follow up after the service. What does this mean? How does God, how does God behave this way? Why do men behave this way? Why, how, can, how can I get forgiveness here? How can I get courage here? How can I have a spirit of strength instead of one of timidity? You know, move. Get engaged with the word of God. You know, take, take notes and, and, and fill out your your discussion questions for home fellowship before home fellowship so that you've thought through them and that you've distilled down where the questions are to ask and where the things are that you need to apply and and work together in helping one another. There are all kinds of things that you can engage in to understand and live out the word of God right here that you're already participating in. And do this. Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids every day. Pray for your kids every day day. Ask God to do things that God can do in your kids. Ask God for help so that you can be the parent that he has called you to be for your kids.
Ask God who gives generously. Ask God who gives good gifts to his children. Ask God who gives more than you might have originally asked or imagined he would do for your kids, for your family, because he's able to do it. You know, some children raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord go astray. And some children with no Christian upbringing whatsoever become Christians. This is the saving grace of God. Nonetheless, it's the wisdom of God for Christian parents to raise their children in the Lord. To pass the gospel from one generation to the next is his wise plan. You know, it's never too late to get started. Praying for your children, modeling Christianity for your children, raising them the way you ought to, even disciplining them. But it is best to start early. It is best to start early. But if you would do this, you would be playing right into God's playbook. God wants to build households and families, and marriages, and strengthen them, and fill them with his spirit, and have them point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as obedience to our parents points us to our obedience to God, just as, just as the relationship in marriage points us to Christ and his church, these are all good things that God has, God has planned to get out of these roles. He's based it on them. And so, and so, Look carefully how you walk. In submission to one another in the home. Children, obey your parents out of reverence for Christ. Parents, raise your children in the gospel of Christ. And you and your family will be filled with the Spirit. And it'll go well with you. And you will have joy. And you will have thanksgiving deep in your heart to God. All of this, Paul says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Father, thank you for the responsibilities that you give and the help that you give by your grace and the truth that you give through your word. Lord, we pray for our kids. We ask that you would move in their hearts that you would bring them to saving faith. We pray that you would, Father. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be good parents and a good support family in the church. Lord, that we would be, that we would be praying for marriages and that we would be praying for families in our church. Father, we're, we're pointed in all of these words to recognize you are our Father and we love you, and we ask you to help us to obey you, that we would be repentant of sin, that we would be cultivating righteousness in our hearts, and Lord, that we would be loving one another as you've called us to love. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.